Okay, here we go. Good afternoon to you on the mainland. Good evening in Europe. Good morning from Maui, Hawaii, and wherever you may be. I really appreciate you being here today for this week's edition of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Now, I haven't said this for a few weeks because I presume most of you know it, maybe all of you, but in case somebody's new, what is a mystery school and what is the ageless wisdom? Well, the first one's easiest to uh, to answer. A mystery school is where you learn the ageless wisdom, and they have existed throughout time. In all cultures and all societies, uh, select women and men have been taught how to expand their awareness, to be more conscious, more awake, and more aware of the bigger picture, rather than simply the physical appearance of things. As we know, our neighbors around us, for the most part, are limited to what they can see and hear and and feel and taste and, and smell, and that's about it. Even their sixth sense, the intuitive sense, is shut down, much less any more refined means of perception or thinking uh, or realization. We could categorize, categorize them all as intuition, I suppose. Most people don't have that access. That's what the mystery schools have taught throughout the ages. And, of course, they were shut down or forced underground. They've always been secret, the mystery schools. About the second or third century, when the church began to kill anybody that was involved, and, of course, that persecution um, has continued and, to some extent, uh, exists even today for those who stand outside the church and whatever church it may be and seek their own personal understanding of their connection to the one life or to all things are often persecuted, prosecuted, and sometimes tortured. I mean, that's where waterboarding began. And guys like me and and women and men who were interested in finding their own path, their own their own way. We've been murdered, slaughtered, tortured, and portrayed as evil from the beginning of time. Uh, somehow I've always thought that was bizarre. <laughs> the guy that kills me is heaven sent, and, and uh, I'm burned at the stake, uh, but I'm the bad one. Okay. And then, of course, the ageless wisdom. Well, this is the perennial philosophy. These are the teachings, once secret and later forced underground, almost into exile, almost into non-existence. The secret pre-Christian, in some cases uh, pre-Judaic, uh, ancient, truly ancient. There's another term, prisca theologia, for the ageless wisdom, which means the ancient teachings or the timeless teachings. And uh, we know from ancient Tibet and ancient Egypt, uh, as well as the Middle East, uh, in between uh, these truly ancient traditions, many of them including concepts that you're familiar with through Judeo-Christianity and uh, uh, other religions, Islam, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, and such. Uh, it's just remarkable how many of these concepts have stood the test of time. So in a non-religious, or if you will, a comparative way, we're looking at these timeless philosophies, the ageless wisdom. And so that's what we're doing. This week's theme, I think you're going to like a lot. It's about spiritual government and how the universe is organized. And like all of our other classes, or certainly most of them, 
I am not going to tell you the one right way to look at this. I'm not going to tell you how it is. I'm not going to end like Walter Cronkite by saying, and that's the way it is. Well, no, I don't know the way it is. But I know a lot of different ways that it is. A, a number of models and paradigms, ways of looking at the universe and how it's set up that are borrowed from the ageless wisdom traditions. And then, unlike religion, we'll talk about those different ways, some of them very different, even contradictory. And then you, being the adult, can make up your own mind, okay? And knowing all of these options may even change your mind or find that your belief system grows and evolves as you become more experienced in study, in meditation, and in mindfulness. These are the three areas that any seeker uh, has to pursue uh, to, to be upon a path of self-realization and understanding your relationship with all that is. You really have to study. You have to read books, come to classes like this, uh, uh, talk to your friends who share your interests. And then, of course, meditation, contemplation, whether it's an emptying of the mind, watching your breath, visualization, chanting a mantra, uh, contemplating a flower, um, any kind of closed-eyed, deep relaxation process of meditation or contemplation, then supplements your study. And finally, mindfulness, which is the idea of being self-aware all the time, unless you're asleep. And there are even some exercises in self-awareness that you can take into sleep with you. I have, for example, a lucid dreaming experience, a kind of mindfulness that is really amazing once it begins to happen to you and for you and, and with you. So keep that in mind. You always have to study. You have, have to have some sort of practice of meditation. Otherwise, you'll, you'll just be a muggle with a bunch of ideas. And uh, finally, mindfulness, to be awake and aware and alert, to be detached and to understand that you are the observer more than the participant. And even if you participate, you have a responsibility to see the bigger picture and to stand back and to observe and, most importantly, make choices in your life. This may be the first step on the road to the development of consciousness is to say to yourself, I have choices. Okay. Give up the victimization, give up the helplessness, and confirm, I have choices. The follow-up to that, there are always more choices than are immediately apparent. And that evolves into a whole technique that we have talked about in the past and we'll talk about in the future. I just want to talk about real briefly here at the top, study, meditation, mindfulness. And I'm glad that you've included us today and hopefully on a regular basis in your study. So let's talk about what the ageless wisdom uh, has to say about spiritual government and inner organization. And as I do that, uh, you might want to look around for a sheet of paper and a pencil or a pen, uh, a marker of some sort and a piece of paper, even a a broad marker, a Sharpie or something would do well. I'm not going to ask you to write anything. 
Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes, and then I'll go back to, you know, the paper and pencil or pen. If you can find something right now that you can write on, I think you'll you'll enjoy uh, what I'm going to point out here, especially those of you who come from a Christian background, I think. So, where to begin? Uh, there is an above and a below, and that's as far as it gets in most religions. And... Uh, the teacher of mine used to say, well, above what and below what? Doesn't above and below suggest a middle? Well, not to a lot of people. Uh, you just say above and below, and they think of either or. They think of heaven and hell. They don't think of earth in the middle. And uh, that may be smart. That may be smart. It may be that this is hell or that this is heaven or that earth does not belong in that polarity of Heaven and earth, where does earth, uh, I'm sorry, heaven and hell, where does earth fit in? Well, at the beginning, let's consider that most people think that heaven is above us and hell is below us. Um, some have even suggested in the bowels of the earth there is a lake of fire and you go down, down, down into hell. And uh, isn't this what happened in uh, Dante's uh, uh, divine comedy, uh, the descension into hell, into the lake of fire, and uh, the various, actually I think there were frozen areas in hell also in Dante's uh, story. It's been so long since I looked at it, but this whole idea that hell is not here and heaven is not here, it's someplace else. The suggestion, the implication always is, especially in religion, which is sort of an elementary school or nursery school approach to all of this, that Earth is a physical place in a physical universe, and no matter how strong the telescope you look through, you're not going to see heaven, nor will you be able to peer into hell because they're outside of space and time. Now, that's about as far as it goes. And so you're left to wonder. Some of you may have been brought up as Catholics, as well as I was, in which case there's a, I wouldn't say a refinement, but a few additional categories that they've dropped uh, since. One was purgatory. I, I was I was taught uh, that there was a, a special place called purgatory that was not quite hell, but it clearly was not heaven, and uh, it was sort of a, a place you could go to work off your 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 bad points, or you could earn good points, or whatever. Uh, in fact, in, in in the Catholic Church, we have these special little prayers to say that are contained in the Missal. You don't read a Bible in the Catholic Church. You look at their documents. Well, that's what a Bible is, really. But their particular set of documents. And there would be these special little prayers in there that if you said this prayer, this shorter prayer, well, you could burn off like it would say right at the end of the prayer, 183 days in purgatory. Of course, a day is how long it takes the earth to spin on its axis. So if this is outside of space and time, who knows what a day is? Uh, that's part of the whole problem. But you're not supposed to ask those kinds of questions, of course. You get in big trouble. Or a little bit of a longer prayer might burn off 300 or 400 days in purgatory. And just a few years ago, the Catholic Church said, oh, we were only kidding for 1,800 years. We didn't really mean it. There really is no purgatory. We just sort of made that stuff up. 
gosh, leads you to wonder how, how much other stuff they made up and that the Protestants then took with them during the Reformation. Protestants called today are certainly Protestants, and they had a lot to protest. But they've taken a lot of these non-critical belief systems with them, and let's be a little more critical. Oh, also Catholics had something called limbo. Now, I think a limbo is trying to dance, you know, leaning over backwards under the stick. And, uh, I don't know, something to do with Calypso or uh, the limbo. I'm not sure what that was all about. But the Catholic Church had a place called Limbo. I'm not sure if they've given up on that or not. Maybe they threw that out with purgatory. I don't know. They keep changing the rules here. Limbo was a place that all the dead babies went if they died before baptism. And the church didn't want to tell the parents, well, your kid's going to hell because he wasn't baptized and he wasn't conscious enough or she wasn't conscious enough to accept Jesus into their lives. So we have a special place for them called Limbo. That may have gone out with the purgatory, I don't know. But suffice to say, and yeah, I am gently mocking the church. It needs a little mocking and it needs a lot of reform for its either inability or unwillingness to speak to us like adults and to tell us where these revelations come from. You know, so much of it is just made up on the spot. Obviously, Christ did not talk about limbo uh, nor purgatory, though there were references to heaven and hell. Are they real places that we go to, or are they states of mind? Have you ever considered that, that heaven and or hell would be levels of consciousness or even ways to think as opposed to some place that you go to after you die. I think one of the most informative and even entertaining ways to talk about where we go after we die to heaven or hell, again, in this universal government, this organizational structure that we don't really know very much about, I mean, we know more. We know a lot about the physical universe, and we're learning more every day. But again, heaven and hell, purgatory, limbo, whatever you have here, um, for the most part, tends to stand outside of that somehow. And yet, these same people will visualize God as a man and heaven as a place. So it's all very confusing. And there, again, as I said before, there's not a whole lot of discussion about it. But um, Consider, what if you could um, create a heaven or a hell right now in your life? What if you could learn enough about yourself to take an appearance, a hellish appearance of things, and uplift it or refine it into a heaven right here on earth? You know, like that old uh, Traffic song, you know, the band Traffic, they did that tune years ago called Heaven is in Your Mind. Well, life is what you make it. Can we make a hell of our lives? Well, of course. I think we all know people who live a hellish existence. They're victimized. They're helpless. Everybody is out to get them. Nothing works. They're bitter, angry, nasty, no fun to be around, and maybe in your family or mine. Then, of course, there are those people that always seem to look on the bright side. They can turn lemons into lemonade. They've always got a little smile. They've they can always uh, look on the bright side, see an opportunity where other people see failure. So we have to consider that also. 
And then this idea of where do we go when we die. Let me pick this up real quickly. I think my favorite way, as I began to say a few minutes ago, to talk about this is that you don't go anywhere. You don't go anywhere when you die. Maybe this is our opportunity to make heaven or hell of our lives on earth. And that death is not a crossroads where you then proceed from this earthly plane to heaven or hell. Maybe it's more like turning the movie off in the movie theater. And you're still looking at the screen, which is now blank, and the child next to you says, where'd the movie go? You might say, well, it's off, it's done. In Hawaii, we say, pow, it's pow. (laughs) It's pow, it's over, it's done. And the kid insists, no, I mean, where did it go? It's not there anymore. This movie that was once so colorful with the scenery and these characters and, and this great drama, where did it go? And, of course, it didn't go anywhere. It's just not being reflected on the screen in front of you any longer. It's still racked in the projector over your shoulder, behind you, where it always was, except that somebody turned the switch from on to off. And the projection light bulb, receiving no more electricity, ceased to illuminate, ceased to shine through the film, ceased to cause the reflection on the screen. Where did the movie go? It's over, it's pow, but it didn't go any place. Where do we go when we die? You don't go any place. You just realize where you've always been. You wake up from this earthly existence. Now, am I saying that's the way it is? Of course not. The ageless wisdom doesn't work that way. That's for religion to address people that don't want the responsibility to think for themselves. Everything I'm offering you and everything I will offer you today and in other classes and webinars is, as Rod Serling used to say, submitted for your approval. It's up to you to make this what you want. How would you set up a universe? And and what are you pulling upon to even comprehend uh, such a thing? What What are we drawing upon? What kind of intuitive ability do we really have to realize what we've never experienced or what we have no easy recollection of having experienced. I mean, there there is that great story. I, I, I don't know if this is true or not. I've seen it in so many places about the little child that uh, mom notices tiptoeing into the baby's room. And so mom quietly goes over to listen in, standing in the hallway up outside the room. Excuse me. She hears the child at maybe three or four years old saying to the baby, tell me what heaven is like. I'm beginning to forget. And so we have to talk about heaven as a repository of souls, not only after life, but before life, for this is common in the ageless wisdom traditions of all societies and all ages, that heaven is not merely a destination, but the Buddhic plane, as it's said, or described, or defined in the East, the Buddhic plane, or what Westerners call heaven, could be and certainly in the ageless wisdom is considered to be 
the only place a soul could exist. That is, sharing the ground of God, to use the term Plato coined, the soul shares the ground of God. It lives in heaven. It was born there at the beginning of time. It incarnates, that is, comes into form, maybe once, maybe reincarnates, maybe many times, depends on your belief system. And then upon shedding the mortal coil, upon physical death, it doesn't return to heaven, it never left. It projected itself, it emanated itself, it extended itself into form, and then pow, at the end of the movie, it stops. Where did it go? No place. It's where it always was. It's just not projecting. It's it's done extending itself into form. That form got old and tired and body got weary and used up. So we're going to let go of the body. <coughs> Excuse me. Let go of the body and pow. It's over. It's done. But nothing really changes from the point of view of the soul in heaven. Now, Now, that's heresy. I cannot tell you. Nobody knows how many millions, hear me clearly, truly millions and millions and millions of people in Europe, in Europe alone, were killed by the inquisitors of the so-called Catholic Church, the one church, for believing in what I just said. And... I'm not talking only about the non-religious or the pagans or the other so-called heathens, you know, those who followed shamans and medicine men or, for that matter, Muslims or Jews or, hell, they, they were killing everybody. They were killing gay men and, and, and gay women and, uh, you know, anybody that wasn't liked in the neighborhood. Somebody up the street could say, well, you know, she's a witch. I saw her... Uh, conjuring with the devil, and she's a witch, and, and the church would come by and kill your neighbor for you, so that you'd, you know, uh, witch trials. Sort of what the Bush administration wants to have now. These witch trials, these uh, kangaroo courts, it's a joke. It's just, let's kill them, right? And so many Christians were killed. I mentioned this the other day in one of the other classes, how that phrase that you sometimes hear, kill them all and let God sort them out, wasn't the Vietnam era, it wasn't Iraq, it wasn't World War II, it was a crusader in the ninth century, working for the church, working for God, doing God's work, killing everybody that disagrees with our very narrow and, and rigid view of reality. So the idea that there is an overshadowing soul, the idea that your soul exists already in heaven, is one of the highest forms of heresy there is. And this is why we have this great debate about abortion and when does life begin, because most people, even if they've never been trained or somehow or taught, are somehow under the assumption that God fashions a new soul upon conception, tucks it into that little baby. You see, and that may not be the case at all. We just don't know. So we have to be a little more flexible. Again, the idea that if you're anti-abortion, uh, you have to be pro-life. You can't be against abortion or pro-life and still be pro-choice. I mean, 
I don't like abortion and I'm never going to have one. Well, I'm a guy. But if my wife had this issue, it would be her responsibility, not the state, to figure it out because it's her body, right? I, I always find really simple-minded the idea that you're either with us or against us and and we have that in the anti-abortion so-called pro-life people and uh, the pro-choice people. Pro-choice people are not necessarily pro-abortion. They're pro the idea that you're going to have to make up your own mind about it. So that's where I want to begin today with this idea that uh, heaven is a repository of souls. It's the place where the spiritual essence of each of us exists all the time. And we don't leave there to come into form. And uh, we don't go there uh, after we die. That's part of the ageless wisdom, whether you accept that, want to work with that, or stay with your original ideas is, of course, up to you and worthy of the respect of the people around you. And certainly you have my respect in that regard. Now, I asked you to get a piece of paper and a pen or pencil or a marker or something. And if you did that, I'd like you to make a uh, a circle on the upper half of that piece of paper, a nice big circle covering maybe the upper half of that sheet of paper. Okay? And then I want you to make a second circle, but hold on a sec. I want you to make the second circle so that it overlaps the first circle by maybe a third, just a little bit. Okay? So make a second circle right below the first circle, almost like number eight except that there's an oval in the middle. Okay, I want you to notice the oval in the middle where the two circles intersect or overlap. And, again, this is beyond tangent, beyond just simply touching, but also not overlapping to a great degree. Only maybe a third or a quarter of the area of the first circle should be overlapped by the area of the second circle. Now, if you consider that the first circle is heaven, or better said, the spiritual sphere or domain, then in the bottom, the bottom circle, you can write physical or material. So the top circle is spiritual. The bottom circle is the physical world. What is this oval, this narrow oval, in the center. Well, in the Ageless Wisdom, this is called the Vesica Pisces. And the literal translation for that is fish bladder. But if you took away everything but the oval, and maybe just left a little extension on one end, good God, you have that fish. There's that fish that the Christians put on the back of their car. There it is, the intersection of heaven and earth. The soul... The Christos, the intersection of spirit and matter, is the soul. And that can be considered in this model. Again, please, this is not rigid stuff. It's, it's supposed to be beautiful, not authoritative. <laughs> there's, there's your fish. And if you were raised as a Christian and always wondered what the heck that meant, uh, or if you've always railed against the church and wondered, what is that fish thing anyway? It has more to do with the fact that 
Christ was the avatar of the age of Pisces, although that's one way of answering it, that uh, several of the apostles were fishermen, that so many of the parables of the New Testament have to do with fishing and fishermen and nets and oceans. Easy to dismiss, say, well, people in that area of the world really relied on the oceans, you know, and, and the fish and so on. But what is this? And, and these allegories to be a fisherman of souls and pay the temple tax with the coin in the fish's mouth and, and the parable of the fishes and the loaves and, and walking on water and all of that. We're talking about the soul. You're talking about the intersection of heaven and earth, or better said, of spirit and matter. There's your little fish. And this was a sign that was used in the early days before the church corrupted Christianity if somebody wanted another person to know that they were a Christian, or if you were sort of thinking maybe, but you didn't want to risk saying out loud because, you know, the, the Roman Empire was out to kill all these wacky, cultish uh, Christian guys. That would be a sign. You could draw on a sheet of paper if you had paper, or you could draw with a stick in the sand or the dirt. You could make this little oval. And that would be a sign that I am a Christian, and I am a soul. I am not just a material being. I have the soul. I, my physical existence, this bottom circle, it intersects with the top circle. A lot of people think, I didn't know people were that smart back then. You know, people, <laughs> people thousands of years ago were just as smart as we are now, in some cases even more smart. They didn't have the information we have now. But I always get a kick out of that. People go, wow, that's pretty smart for back then. Well, read some Plato or Aristotle. Read some, <laughs> read some really old stuff. And people had the same intelligence they have now. We're not that much more intelligent. We're just better informed. In many ways, we're less intelligent because we're so focused into the outer world. So there's uh, your first exposure, perhaps, to the idea of spheres as planes of existence, heaven, hell, earth, planes of existence that not only touch, but they may even overlap or intersect so that there are subplanes or planes within the planes of existence. Now, Clearly, Western man is working on a vertical model. And a lot of people elsewhere in the world are working on a very simple vertical model of spiritual government where, you know, God is up there and we're down here. Or God is up there in heaven with all the angels and all the dead people that made it to heaven and we're down here and maybe even going deeper into the earth. Wherever hell is, we may be headed that way you know, for eternal damnation and such. I w again, I would have you consider that this is the hell, and that the hellish existence that you're condemned to for all of eternity is to believe that you are only a material being and that you are a victim of life. If you consider that you're the one who initiates and responds to life, takes some responsibility for it, and that you may be more than the physical body. You can close your eyes and leave your body and be very conscious, even more conscious, than dealing only with the information that comes through the body, through the physical senses. As I said before, there are 
other senses and sensations that are not physical, that are metaphysical senses and sensations or spiritual sensations. But you have to quiet the mind and 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 calm the emotional nature before you become aware of these really subtle and ineffable sources of realization. Okay. But as valuable and common as this vertical model is and the idea of ascension that comes out of it, resurrection is an ascension moving on up. Well, it's not just going up into the sky. The idea is going up, like in school, to the next grade, uh, moving on up uh, to the next level, like a video game, you know, moving up in terms of I now know more and I'm ready for new information. I finished Algebra 1. I did pretty good. I got a B plus. I think I'm ready for Algebra 2 now. Okay. Does that only happen once? You die and go to heaven and that's it? Or could it be that there's more up there? Could the, could there be a heaven number two or number three? Can there be various grades of refinement? You, you have to begin to consider that. Church doesn't talk about that. You really think you go to heaven and sit there for all of eternity with nothing to do? And you can't pursue your hobbies, your interests, there's no gardening, you can't pick flowers uh, even worse, what if it was like church all day long you know, 24-7 for all of eternity, church I mean you probably want to kill yourself and yet you're already dead, so how could you kill yourself I mean, what do you do in heaven well, maybe it's not that different Maybe what you do is the same thing you're supposed to do here, which is, number one, understand yourself. Number two, develop what you understand about yourself. Continue self-realization and unfoldment. And number three, to continue to be of service to other people who are part of that same process. To know yourself, to grow yourself, and express yourself lovingly, charitably, in service to other people. That's what we're supposed to do here. Why wouldn't that continue? And then what we call heaven is if it's some kind of a place that you go to and stay for all of eternity could continue to unfold and evolve. Just as the rose unfolds layer after layer of beauty coming out, why would it have only two stages? See, this is the simple-mindedness that modern women and men are going to have to deal with as we refine our religious and spiritual understandings for a more intelligent age. We have to begin to, to go beyond this idea of only two places or three places, hell, earth, heaven, and and consider that there are, are these planes, a variety of planes, a, a series of planes. Now, before I go to the one of the other primary models here of spiritual government, which are the spheres or the nesting dolls, the Russian doll model, which is just as valid and in many ways even more rich. Let me finish the breakdown to uh, an even more refined point of the more common, at least in the West, understanding of planes of existence. The physical plane, that bottom circle that I had you draw, the material universe, the universe, 
is considered to have within it three subplanes. From the bottom up, it would be physical, as in physical, etheric, emotional, and mental. This is the lower correspondence of the divine trinity, which would be from the bottom up, Holy Spirit, Son, and Father or more precisely, mother, son, and father, usually described from the top down, father, son, and mother. But, of course, the church had to take women out, so they call the mother aspect, the material aspect, mater, Holy Spirit. The lower correspondence of that divine trinity, which would be the father aspect in Christianity, the son aspect, or the soul in most other religions, uh, which shares the ground of the father aspect, the Most High, and then the material form, the existence in form. So you have these three planes or these three levels on high. The lower correspondence in man would be his mental, emotional, and physical nature. Let's work it from the bottom up because physical dense is as gross and as crude. Eh, that's not quite, right, quite the right word. Crude may work. Certainly gross the lowest frequency, the lowest possible form of spirit. Or if you will, in terms of frequency, how about the slowest vibration or frequency is, you might say the physical dense, but that's in spiritual terms thought not to even be real, but just simply an appearance caused by molecules and particles that are flashing in and out, like the movie, Creating an Appearance of Existence. In metaphysics, in the ageless wisdom, the lowest plane is the physical etheric. It's invisible and unseen, but nevertheless a form. It's like the Christmas tree without all the decorations on it. That's what my teacher used to say. Or if you ever saw the invisible man with clawed reins, they take the bandage off, but he's invisible. But if you put a hat on his head, it doesn't fall through. There is some invisible form, you know, you wasn't Kevin Bacon in a movie about being invisible and they threw a blanket over him and his form, though invisible, supported the blanket, you see. That's physical etheric. And then the astral plane, number two, the so-called astral is the emotional plane. And this is where our emotional feelings exist. Not only our personal feelings, but the emotional forms of those with whom we come into contact, and even some planetary emotional forms. You know, the Earth, just like having physical weather, has emotional weather. And sometimes fear will sweep through the astral, and everybody gets frightened, and it manifests in different ways, but everybody feels the fear. Then when you continue to elect governments that in that are intent upon promoting that fear, uh, that's going to get worse, the astral plane. That is then superseded by the lower mental plane, which is the chaos of thinking that most of us do, the stream of consciousness, and, and, and the eight or ten or more ideas that are demanding your attention. Listen to me. No, listen to me. Do this. Do that. What about this? What about that? Did you do this? And the madness, uh, if you've ever run into people who think they have to say all of those things as they think them at the same time, uh, that's the lower mind. Now, uh, above that is a higher mind, a plane of the soul, which we've already referred to. This would be, in Judeo-Christian terminology, heaven. In Eastern philosophy, it's called the Buddhic plane, again, the plane of the soul. 
and then above that, and that would be the plane that is ruled over by the Christos, by the Christ, if you will, the plane of the soul. But, you know, many Christians forget that Christ taught us to, or our ancestors anyway, to pray to the Father. The only prayer Christ ever taught was not to him. He didn't say pray to me. He said pray to the Father. Protestants pray mostly to Jesus, not the Father. And Catholics will pray to Jesus or the Father or the Virgin Mother or saints and sages. And Many people pray to ancestors. So, you know, help is where you find it, I guess. But um, this would be the middle part of the, you know, I've already created a, a, a stacking here, like a stack of pancakes, all these different planes. But the bottom three, remember, the physical etheric, the emotional astral, and the lower mental, which are the correspondent of the divine three in man, the lower correspondent, that all together would be the material plane. Then you have that intersection, the plane of the soul, heaven, the buddhic plane. And then above that, more levels. But essentially, the whole thing is referred to by the Greek term in theosophy and ageless wisdom philosophies as the logos. And so it's capped off in terms of this solar system by a father aspect that corresponds to the will of the Most High for this particular planetary system. Right. That's usually how it comes down. So the higher you go, the more refined you go, the closer you get to God, the more unified you are. And uh, how many of these planes exist, of course, depends on the model. But the idea is that spirit involves into matter, comes down through these planes into incarnation, and then at some point gets conscious enough that it begins to develop itself. This would be the return or the evolution of spirit uh, back to its source, to seek heaven, to know God, that kind of thing. This presentation here on spiritual government and organization of the universe in a spiritual sense is taught in so many different ways in the collectivist, ageless wisdom. Uh, this, this would be inadequate, uh, as many choices as I've offered you already of ways to believe. We've got to go beyond the simple vertical model if we're going to comprehend the universe. I mean, two dimensions, a blackboard, a drawing, and a piece of paper of a couple of circles that intersect. Is that the best I can do? Is that the best our ancestors have been able to do? No. In fact, this system is so, even as rich as it is, is so inadequate, it really depends upon and relies upon at least one other way of looking at spiritual government or the organization of the universe. And that's the Russian nesting doll. And what's curious about this is that it works in both directions. I mean, if you say the universe is set up like the nesting dolls, and I presume you know what I'm talking about, those dolls, Russian dolls, you you open it and there's a littler one inside and you open that and another one inside that's even smaller and you go all the way down. Well, does the center correspond to the material universe and God proscribe it by the circle around? Or does the material world prescribe 
that which exists divinely in the center as the dot. Well, what if I told you both things were true plus the vertical model? And even then, it's inadequate. What if we need multiple models? And that just looking at the nesting doll model, both things are true. For example, uh, you have in mysticism and metaphysics uh, the ageless wisdom and an idea, an idea that uh, God is both imminent and transcendent. Imminent is the part the church hates and, and freaks out about because it looks too pagan. That is the divine God, the absolute, the source, the creator, the ultimate oneness is in all things. That's God imminent. And uh, that's sort of God in the center of the circle, isn't it? With uh, the material world proscribing it on the outside. And the soul would be the space between the dot and the circle around it. That would be God imminent. God transcendent could be seen the other way around. The same bullseye, uh, the circle with the dot in the center, but now God proscribes it. God is transcendent. God is the big daddy. This is the, the God the church likes. This is the regal God with the crown and the castle and the streets of gold, right? Uh, a kingdom where every seemingly separated thing, every bit of creation is inside this oneness. So uh, in this case, God would be the circle on the outside and the material world, you, would be the dot in the center. And the soul that stands between the material being and the most high would be the space. That stays the same in both of these models. Okay. Now, a lot of people like this model because it makes so much sense from, well, as you begin to think about what would heaven be like, um, beyond the celestial music and the choirs of angels and the strumming of the harps and, you know, the jam session, the idea is that ultimately any noise that usually results from, well, you know, the banging of something, the hitting of something, the striking of objects, strings vibrating, uh, air vibrating through a horn, uh, the nature of music is there's some sort of vibration. And there's plenty of room for that understanding in these upper realms, these, this, this heaven, so-called, the heavenly choirs. And, and the idea that music and dance is very much a part of, of what it means, essentially, to be spirit. But on the highest levels, there's an understanding that there is no motion and there is no sound around the most high or the most divine. For there's no conflict. Uh, harmony even gives way at the highest level. Even harmony gives way to perfect unity. Our philosophical ancestors have taught us to at least consider, if not to believe. And so the approach is one of approaching stillness and moving from a place of things to a place of no thing. And of course the irony is that place of no thing, this super heaven if you will, is not nothing, 
it's just no thing, no separated thing. But it is everything. It is no thing and all things. And everything is everything, and this is where you start sounding less like a mystic and more like somebody who overdosed on some psychedelic drug, but that's where you go. The words, no thing, nothing, all one, alone. Alone is all one, no thing, nothing. I mean, it, it just all falls away. But consider this as you look at supplementing your sense of a vertical model with a nesting doll model. And I think this is rich, and I've seen it come spontaneously to meditators in many cases. People I work with in my private uh, trainings also, uh, in, in countless times, have come upon this realization without me even suggesting it. So I share it with you now. Imagine that you and I are like little ants on a record player. I know you have to go back to records. Who remembers records? They were like CDs, but they went a lot more slowly. <laughs> well, imagine that we're like little ants on this turntable. And the record is going around and around and around. And as ants, if we move from the center of the record toward the edge of the record, we're going to go faster and faster and faster through space. Our velocity will increase. Even though the uh, RPMs of the record, the, the rate at which the record is revolving, remains the same. It's still spinning at 33 and a third RPMs, or the old 45s, or before that, it was 78 RPMs. That's just how many times, revolutions per minute, the turntable goes around in 60 seconds, right? But if you were an ant on the turntable, your speed in space would be a function of where you are on that record. And the farther you went away from the center of the record toward the edge of the record, the faster you were going. I never roller skated much, but as a kid, we did a lot of ice skating in Michigan. And one of the things that we liked to do was called crack the whip, where you get four, five, six people to skate side by side, holding hands, and then at one end of the line, the person would stop and pull, and everybody else would stop and pull. And the person farthest out would go really fast. And you'd whip them around. We call it crack the whip. That's what I'm talking about. The farther you get to the outside of any spinning uh, uh, circumstance or situation, uh, the faster you're going to go. Contrary-wise, then, if we were, as these little ants on the turntable, to begin to move toward the center of the turntable, we would go slower and slower and slower. Oh, boy, I'm digging this. I'm moving toward the center. The record is still spinning at exactly the same speed. But as I get, as I get closer to the center, I'm in a very real way going through space more slowly. My velocity is being reduced as I move toward the center until at some theoretically infinitesimally small point at the very center there would be no movement at all. There would have to be some place in the center of all this spinning and revolving and activity. What's it revolving around? No thing. 
all this movement, all this chaos, all this motion, all this activity, like the physical world, is spinning around something that doesn't even exist, and yet is at the very center, at the very heart of the chaos. It's just not moving. It's not active. It is the source of all activity, but it is absolutely peaceful and quiet, the source of which all things spring. See, all the activity comes from the center. So the ancient concept of the most high or the most divine as the dot in the center of the circle is even more popular than reversing it and seeing God as the container proscribing the limits and its material creation living within that larger circle. Even more popular is the most divine as the pinpoint, the little dot in the very center of the circle. And you remember geometry, right? What, what were we, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade? Um, and we learned that a point took up no space, that a point was a location, a loci, a locus, right? And uh, could be a location on an XY axis or an XYZ axis, right? Or just a point in space with no axis at all. A point has no dimension, takes up no space, in a sense exists outside of space and time, has no size. I mean, it's a perfect model for divinity. Even though we're, we, we, we've been trained to think of divinity as very, very big, or even worse, just separated. Again, the idea that the most high is a man with a beard on a cloud uh, is just silly. Absolutely silly. And so when somebody says to me, do you believe in God? I never know really exactly what to say. I mean, yeah, sure, but not your God. You know, I see a God that everything is inside and that is inside everything. And these models, the two versions of the nesting dolls, the vertical model, uh, no matter how refined it may be, these are just models. They're just paradigms. They're teaching aids, but they're valuable. And I wanted to get you beyond the idea of heaven, earth, and hell, or heaven and hell, to a more refined sense of the vertical planes that continue to unfold and evolve as we spiritually evolve through self-realization and uh, the, the service that we provide out of that to other people to help them do that same thing, to, to experience life and, bottom line, to learn to express love in countless ways. That's really what it's that's really what it's all about. Well, let's see. Um, we're almost at the top of the hour, and uh, I like these Sunday classes to go between an hour and at most an hour and a half. Don't want to go any longer than an hour and a half. So that's pretty much the layout. Let's do our uh, see if we have uh, comments and questions, and then we'll do our audio journey for the day, our meditation exercise and uh, sort of install this whole concept with your eyes closed uh, and your breathing relaxed. The mind quiets, the emotions calm, 
and you'll be able to get a sense of this in a much more impactful kind of a way. I'd like to acknowledge the people that have uh, come into the website of things here. Those of you on the telephone, I'm afraid I've had to mute you out um, because, um, you know, just a little background noises, dogs barking, whatever. Scratchy telephone line is heard by everybody. So sorry we have to mute you out on the telephone. But those of you watching on the web live right now on this 17th of August, uh, 2008 can use the question box at the bottom of the web page to put, uh, like I say, a question or a comment or just a hello. I'd love to see some response to what I've said here that I can comment on, even if only for a few minutes. And a first name or first to last in the city in the appropriate box and press the submit button. Got to remember to do that. And that'll come up on my screen, even if it's uh, just to say hi. Got a few regulars that are always on here, and I really appreciate hearing from you folks. Uh, John in Pittsburgh is on, and uh, well, though John lives in Pittsburgh, he's really not in Pittsburgh right now. He's traveling today. He's in Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, John's doing a convention of uh, a service that I'm also involved in that I'll tell you about one day. I went to the convention last year and the year before, and John is just one of a number of people in my organization. It's a gratitude delivery system called Send Out Cards. It's based on karma and the idea that uh, people remember how you make them feel long after they forget anything you've said or done. So it's a web-based business greeting card system to say thanks to your customers and clients. And uh, their convention is in August every year in, up in Utah. So I wanted to say good afternoon to John in Utah. I wish we could be there again this year, but we'll go next year uh, for sure. We're still unpacking here in Maui, I'm afraid. In Santa Monica, California, Larry Larson. Hello, Larry. Always good to hear from you. Um, Randy Johnson or RJ in Lake Forest is with us again this week. Says aloha, Michael. Blessings and love. Thank you, Randy. Back at you. And uh, Carol in La Habra, dear friend, good student, saying hello to Doreen as well as to me. And Carol, I'll pass that on. Doreen's in the other room feeding the cats, I think. And uh, let's see, also a buddy of mine, Jim McClellan on the Big Island, says aloha, Michael, and aloha, Jim. Right back at you. Uh, let's see. Oh, I see. This is an interesting question. Randy is saying, uh, watching on the web, how does that work? I guess I misspoke. Uh, I mean listening on the web or listening on the telephone. I do not have a camera on, and I really don't want to dress for... <laughs> I don't want to have to worry about whether my hair is combed uh, before I sit down and do one of these. Um the truth of the matter is I don't have that much information that I could share visually. Today might have been fun. I could draw the circles for you. But um, for the most part, I don't have visual information, charts and graphs and maps. So uh, I'm not using a video channel. I do have the ability with the system. Well, first of all, I, I could use a different system if I really wanted to. Um, it, it, it takes up a lot more bandwidth. It's much more likely 
to halt and freeze. It's much more frustrating, and I just don't think you're going to get that much more out of it unless I'm, you know, showing you things. There's a program called Go to My PC, and another one that's similar, Go to My Meeting or Go to Meeting.com, where if I had you sign up, I would pay for the system as I do for this. You would sign up free, and you could see whatever's on my computer. Um, we could do that. But again, I don't see an advantage. I think, you know, I've always done radio. It's what I'm used to doing, so we'll continue to do that without video. So that was just a misstatement. I'm sorry. Watching on the web, listening via the web is what I really meant to say. And if you're submitting these questions live, you obviously are watching on the web. There is a, uh, in this system that I'm using, there is a, a PowerPoint function. So I could prepare uh, PowerPoint presentations. There's a lot of alliteration. Peter Piper picked PowerPoint presentations and put them <laughs> uh, on the system so that you could see them, uh, just as I sometimes play a little music uh, at the beginning. But I just don't see any real value in it, any real purpose for it. I guess if I really had some handout material I wanted to get to you, uh, I'd mail it or something. Um Wow, Jimmy Lee. Hello, Jimmy. Nice time. Nice, nice to hear you. Buddy of mine forever and the day. 30 plus years um, is on live. And uh, he likes it. He digs it. Thanks, Jimmy Lee. Love to hear from you. Uh, in Cerritos, Kareem is with us again this week. and just says hello. Hello, Kareem. Out of San Diego, Glenn. Best wishes from Glenn in San Diego. Holding down the southern end of the California part of the world there, and Timothy Jarvis in Newport Beach says, hello, Michael, and uh, he says, how about that Michael Phelps, huh, that that young man can swim, and thanks for what you do, and of course, as always, Timothy says, go Dodgers, the, the ever-loyal Dodger fan, thank you, Timothy, nice to hear from all your folks, okay, well, thanks for checking in, and thanks for saying hi. And uh, let's do our guided imagery exercise, and we'll have you out of here in about eight or ten minutes or so. And again, let me just thank you all for being here. If you came in late, we've been talking about spiritual government, about planes and spheres and levels of existence and involution and evolution and the great Mandela of life going around and around and, and uh, having some fun, sort of exercising your brain and hopefully your heart a little bit and breaking out of the horrific medieval constraints of religion. And let me be clear. You know, I um, I really respect any religious person, no matter how simplistic I may secretly think their religious ideas are. Anybody that aspires to be a better person, anybody that wants to know more about love, uh, is a person that I'm ready to love. I may not like you. <laughs> I may not want to hang around with you. I might not want to put up with your abuse, but I will work on loving you, and even if that just means respecting you, I may not trust you, but I'm willing to respect you just for that aspiration, just for that curiosity. Am I more, or could I be better? 
can I refine myself, not just from lead to gold, but then refine the gold from 14 carat to 22 carat, you know, not just to get to heaven, but want to continue the process of evolution to be the absolute best you can be by discovering and developing your spiritual essence. That's all we're talking about in all the rich models of the ageless wisdom or perennial philosophy from all cultures at all times, ideas that have stood the test of times. And, uh, gosh, to exercise that a little bit, to do some spiritual calisthenics, that's what we're all about. Uh, that's really the best way I can say it. So, creating the context in that way, close your eyes, take a nice, slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, relax and create and sense a feeling of letting go. Feeling very, very safe from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Telling yourself that you can actually feel stress and tension, anxiety falling away. Just drop it. And any muscular tension or anxiety, any nervousness or worry that remains, imagine it now melting slowly, softening, and just sort of feel that melty feeling so safe, so relaxed, okay? And it helps me a lot in my meditation and contemplation to go to a beautiful place of perfect peace. I think that's how I ended up in Maui, Hawaii, was 35 years of every day dreaming of a place like this. So you can do the same thing. Maybe it's a pine forest or a tropical jungle. You may be high in a mountain or deep in a valley, in a sunny, warm meadow or a cool, shady, shady uh, enchanted forest someplace. You dream it up. And allow my voice to go with you as you find this beautiful place of ideal relaxation and perfect peace and sit there upon the earth. And consider your existence as you feel yourself in your body, imagining that you sit upon the earth and are rooted into the ground. Feel how it might feel to have roots like a tree or a bush or a flower or even a blade of grass. Feel how it would feel to be rooted into the earth, plugged in to, again, as Plato said, share the common ground of the one life. And know that you are inalienable. You could not be separated or alienated from that one life. By being connected to the earth through this sense of rootedness. And now, also, as if there were a laser beam of light pencil thin of any color you are now imagining coming down into the very top of your head now connected to the earth through the roots but also to the sky through this laser beam 
connected to the material, but also the spiritual. And you're like the spiritual lightning rod in between these two polarities of spirit. These You're like a battery hooked up to the chassis ground and to the source of the energy. And you need both of those poles to be hooked up to spirit and matter to be the middle to be the vesica Pisces, the soul, the fish, in between the overlapping circles, so that you're both material and spiritual. And however that feels to you, in addition to the feeling that, well, I'm just making this up, I'm just sort of pretending like Michael says, that's exactly right. Pretend, make it up. The feeling of being both, spiritual and material, rooted into the earth, just like a battery, and at the same time connected to the source of the energy. Sense that polarity. Any plug that you put in to the wall or hook a battery to has those two polarities, so-called positive and the negative. But it's all good. Be the middle. Be both spirit and matter. Consider that you're already in heaven, that your soul could not be elsewhere, that any reference to eternal damnation is a reference to being lost in the physical world, believing you are that separated, alienated being that suffers from fear and anger, hatred and all manner of personal torment. You can make a hell of your existence on earth. You can condemn yourself to a, an existence of loneliness and separation. Or we can make a heaven of this existence on earth through study, through meditation, and through mindfulness. Through dedicating ourselves to more than just producing and consuming and earning and spending, but to commit yourself to the oneness of life by committing yourself first to an understanding of who you are and what you're for, that you are and why you're here. And then take what you learn and give it away in simple, humble service to others. And bring heaven to earth. And beyond that, consider that you are an extension into this form from another spiritual place. And your redemption is guaranteed. That you cannot lose this game. You could go quickly, you could go slowly, you could dig in your heels and go very slow. And who knows, at the end of existence are some souls lost forever as a result of their dedication to materialism and the pleasures of materialism. It's up for you. It's up to you. Nobody really knows whether all souls will be redeemed or some lost at the end through their own negligence and unwillingness to know themselves. 
but certainly all souls are redeemable and exist already in the plane of the souls above us and within us and around us and everywhere equally present. How could something be everywhere equally present? You don't, you know, you don't have to decide where to put the antenna for the television or the radio because the signals are broadcast throughout the ethers and are everywhere present, though not equally in radio. Well, spirit is like that, but everywhere equally present, not only everywhere present, but everywhere equally present. And if you can understand radio and television, it's the frequency that keeps the channel discreet. Maybe what makes you discreet is not your physical body, but the frequency you carry in your consciousness. Seek to refine that frequency. Think higher thoughts. Aspire to kindness and forgiveness and compassion and love and harmony and see if the baser thoughts, the fears, the greed, the anger and the hostility, the hurt and the fear isn't redeemed, uplifted, refined from lead to gold, from 14 carat to 18 carat, downward and upward, higher and higher, just an allegory, just a metaphor for your unfoldment, for your refinement, for your perpetual and never-ending spiritual evolution. Wouldn't that be cool? Maybe heaven is just the beginning. But at the very least, we can go beyond the idea of only above to the idea of above and within and without. As above, so below. As within, so without. And give freely to the world that which is given to you so freely with every breath and every moment of sentience and awareness, this life given to you, and we dare to withhold our love and our light from others based on some condition. Pass it on. Pay it forward. Give it up. Give it away without reservation or condition. Feeling peaceful, and loved and loving and lovable, a little smarter, maybe not any more certain, but certainly better informed, more creative, and now able to think in whole new ways about your relationship to the other separated forms and to the spiritual, ever-present essence that unifies diversity into unity. Remembering where you are and telling yourself now how easily you can bring these feelings with you, not even the language that I've used, but just the sense of where you are, 
and the comfort and fulfillment that it seems to bring you. Bring that with you effortlessly as you reorient yourself toward the sound of my voice. Remember where you are, where you're sitting, what you're doing. Take a nice slow breath and as you exhale just as slowly, relax and open your eyes wide awake and alert and refreshed and rested, feeling fine back in the room, remembering fully and completely what we did, what we've been talking about, remembering the replay is available. If you learn something in the first pass, listen to the replay, and I'll bet you get a lot more And the third time and the fourth time. So know that you can get that by podcast, by streaming audio, or download it onto your computer. The podcast is an auto-download. Those are all available at the website, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on Homepage to go inside, and then Web Teleconference. You'll see the whole archive there. Also, I want you to consider that if you like this program, you're going to really love the podcast that Steve and I do at FocusedPassion.com. This is my buddy Steve Snyder, a um, fellow I've known for a long, long time, 25, almost 30, yeah, almost 30 years I've worked with Steve in this field, done lots of seminars, and now that we're both on Maui, we're doing these programs, a premium podcast for only 99 cents a week. Uh, you know, silly amount, but it adds up and allows us to do what we're doing, adding a lot more content. And this Sunday webinar live and, and the replays, the podcasts and such are an add-on that you get as a subscriber, but also free to those of you who've been listening to me on the radio and you know my material. Um, gosh, here's Ginny, you get the award. I was talking about Knowing Steve for 30 years, and my friend Jimmy Lee from Calabasas for 35 years, he's on. And then my friend Ginny from Lansing comes on, and we've known each other for 40 years. How about that? <laughs> it's great to hear from you, Ginny. Thanks for checking in in Lansing, Michigan. Um, so whatever our relationship, and no matter how long we've known each other, uh, consider the premium podcast with Steve. Get on board. You'll continue to get these programs for free and all kinds of other content, too. Subscribe at FocusPassion.com. And if you've already done that, and I think a lot of you have, uh, stay tuned because there's some big improvements and additions, updates and upgrades that are happening at that site as we speak. You won't see it for a little while, but wow, are we excited. We've put a lot of our resources into developing this site, especially Steve, uh, our partner Kurt Wyman, and uh, several others. Uh, my wife's daughter Haley Carr and her husband Guy have done a video for us. Uh, it's almost five minutes long. Uh, that's going to be on YouTube in the coming weeks and also on our site. A way for you to tell your friends what we're doing uh, and what we mean by wage inner peace. So it's more fundamental the Finding Yourself in Paradise premium podcast is really focused on practical and portable tools and techniques that you can use in your life, in your daily life and affairs every single day. And then, well, this program a little more spiritual perhaps and, and a little more uh, esoteric, if you will, more philosophical uh, than the premium podcast. But if you're listening to this and not getting that, be sure and click the button on the web right in front of you. Well, unless you're listening to the podcast, 
or by telephone if you're on the web live right now. Or next time you go to a replay, you'll see in the lower right-hand corner, Wage Inner Peace Now. Click on that, and you're going to focus to passion.com. And use your debit card, your credit card, your ATM card, $3.96 a month, less than our coffee at Starbucks, once a month for four and sometimes five weekly podcasts. They come out on Wednesdays. Okay? Well, we're almost out of time. Thank you for listening. And uh, hope you'll make it a point to join us either live by podcast or listening to the streaming or downloadable archive. We're here every Sunday at 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 o'clock East Coast, 20 hours GMT, and uh, 10 a.m. in Maui. So, uh, also, oh, one final thing before I run. If you have friends and associates that you've been forwarding these invitations to, and I know many of you are because I see the people when they write to me and they say as much. So, uh, you know, hey, thanks. That's how we grow is by you telling not just everybody. That would be nice. I could say tell everybody, but I'm just suggesting you go to those friends of yours who share these interests and say, are you listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on Sunday? Let them know. Are you subscribing to the premium podcast that Michael does with Steve at FocusedPassion.com? Well, at the very least, you can get them on to their own newsletter, so you don't have to keep forwarding every week your newsletter, or you could do your forwarding to different people every week. Gosh, that means so much to us when you do that. We're even talking about building an incentive program around that, so maybe seminars in Maui. You know, wouldn't that be fun? We'd like to get some of you guys out here. And uh, so we're not talking about selling the site to anybody. Uh, that's silly. Uh, even if you were successful, who says they'd listen? I would like to ask you to go to those friends of yours, those associates and others that you know, who you think are interested already in metaphysics and philosophy and spirituality and personal development, you know, success and fulfillment, all of these things, uh, and tell them about this event, you can, again, forward all the emails you get. There's a link at the bottom that makes it easy to do. And you can also take them to theagelesswisdom.com and click on free newsletter and get them signed up that way. Okay, Right under the button homepage at theagelesswisdom.com, First thing that comes up is a button that says homepage right under that free newsletter. Okay? So thanks very much. And, uh, again, we're almost out of time. You know, every week I think, well, I'll do about an hour rather than an hour and a half, and every week I run over. Hope you don't mind. Oh, and you can email me, too, at mb at theagelesswisdom.com. Love to hear from you, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner from Maui, Hawaii. Aloha.